Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Well, good morning and welcome to First Orlando. Not a house divided, but a house united. The church in this country can be just as divided as the world. And we don't, we're not immune to it. And they weren't immune to it in Corinth. And the letter we're reading called 1 Corinthians is Paul's answer to questions that had gotten to him. And so he is trying to say, guys, would you please, in the name of Jesus, unite. Unite around the gospel. Unite around the story of Christ. So that's what he's after, okay? Now, if you've got a Bible... I want you to look at how he says it, okay? It's in 1 Corinthians, first chapter, verse 10, where we're going to start. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got a, 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 you know, on your phone or an iPad or however you do, uh, read the Bible, go there and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now, he's going to appeal to them for unity, okay? But let me describe, let me just say something about unity, what it's not. Unity is not uniformity. Say it with me. Unity is not uniformity. When you encounter somebody and they say that you have to do the the things they do and the way they do them and all of that to be united with them, no. That's not unity. That's coercion. That is something way beyond what Paul is talking about. You will always be who you are. And the beauty of this church is we're diverse. And that's a beauty. That's a strength. That's not a burden or, a, or, or anything that, that hinders. It can be what actually helps. So it's not that. And it's not just circumstantial. It's supernatural. It's not what's just going on around us. That's superficial. For example, a lot of people think, wow, look at the church. Look how many people are here today. Man, there's such unity. No. What you don't know is that we can get in a fight sitting by each other. I mean, I did. I, I was a kid. Kid put a bug on my head uh, right in the middle of a church service, and I was on the third row, and I decided to just take care of it right there. And I jumped on him, and who was preaching said, young man, I don't know who you are, but you better go to your parents. And when I went to my dad, he wouldn't even look up. He was looking down. I thought I was going to die that day. I actually thought that would have been my last day on this earth. I hadn't even made it to the first grade yet. There's not unity just because the circumstances are the same. There's unity when there's something supernatural happening, when our hearts are joined. And that's a greater bond than anything. It's stronger than blood. It's stronger than geography. It's stronger than anything. And so what he's talking about is the prayer of Jesus. You know, Jesus prayed for us to be one. In John 17, it's an an incredible, just make a note of it and go and read the whole prayer. He actually uses the word one four times in like three verses. And he keeps asking, make them one, make them one. And then he says, so that the world will know you have sent me. What does he mean by that? He means the world will get a lot more out of the fact that we are one 
than if we are divided. The world will see a witness when we are together, when we're one. So Jesus prayed. I'm telling you, when, you, when Jesus is praying a prayer, it's got power. And I believe that Jesus still desires for the body of Christ to become one. Because one day he's coming for his bride. And his bride is not fractured. She is not separated. She's not a harem. She's one. He is coming for his bride. And so he says, Lord, make them one. And Paul is talking about that. So let's look at verse 10. That's where he kind of gives a preface to what he's going to say to him. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, I I want to look at that a little more carefully because it sounds like we're supposed to all agree on everything and think the same way about everything. The, un, the, uh, the unfortunate thing is the English language can not carry the true sense of the word in Greek. And there's some really cool words in this, and I want to show them to you. He says, of course, in the name of Jesus, which is exactly what everything is to be built around, I want you to agree. Now, that word agree looks like we've got to agree on what kind of car we drive. We've got to agree on what school we cheer for and all that stuff. No, no, no. That is a word that means what we talk about the most. It's actually a word for speak. It's what do we talk about the most? What do we promote the most? What is our declaration? What is it that we are most excited about? Agree on that. So in other words, when the church agrees that Jesus is the answer and that's the thing we talk about the most, guess what? The world gets it. Let me show it. This is a simple thing. We've done this before. Very simple. On the count of three, I want you to, and say it loud. You're in church. I know, but I'm asking you. Say it loud. Give me the name of the town where you grew up. On the count of three. One, two, three. Did y'all understand anything? I mean, it was just chaos. Didn't understand a thing, just a bunch of murmuring. All right. Second. Now on the count of three, give me the name of the church you first went to, that one you can remember that you first attended. On the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. (laughs) Some of you, you're still saying it. It's one of those long names. I still really couldn't understand much. Now watch this. On the count of three, say the name of the one who died for your sin. One, two, three. There you go. Now everybody heard that. Even the world hears that. But what they don't hear is our differences. It's okay. We agree and declare one name. Okay? One name. Now, the second one is let there be no divisions. Divisions was a term that meant literally cliques, groups that had their own agenda. It's a really interesting word in Greek. It means a little group that had their own agenda, and they weren't necessarily the same agenda of the other group. They had their own. He said, no, no, you don't need a bunch of that going on in the church. By the way, do you know what they call a group of cells in your body that has their own agenda? Cancer. It's not good for any church. It's not good for the body. So he said, let there be no divisions. And then he says, be united in the same mind. That's like a filter that we look at or we see everything through that filter. We process everything the same way. So we kind of have the same starting point because we're processing through Scripture, 
and through, of course, the Lord Jesus, and, and we're asking the question, Jesus, is this what you would want us to do? And then the same judgment is really values and purpose or priorities. What is the purpose? What's the values that we hold? What's the mission? So for me, I think we ought to be united around a simple mission, and that is sharing the gospel of Jesus and living the gospel of Jesus. That ought to be our mission. It's very simple. Now, we can expound on that, but let's start there. What happens is we don't agree on a lot of other stuff, and we let that consume us so we're not living and sharing the gospel. In other words, we forget about the mission. What is essential gets lost in the non-essential. And that's where the fights, that's where the quarreling, that's where all the stuff. For example, let's say we were to decide today, we're going to go to the state capitol and we're going to pray for the state of Florida. That's good. Biblical. Pray for those in authority. All right. Hey, let's go to Tallahassee. We're going to pray at the state capitol. Some of you are going to go, well, uh, we're going to go up Turnpike. We're going to get hit, hit 75 and go up to I-10 and then we're going to go west. And some of you are going, well, no, I think I'm going to go 19, 27 over to 19, and then I'm going to go up the back way. Who's right? Who's wrong? Neither one. We're ending up in the same place. We don't always go about the mission the same way. We don't have the same strategy, same methods, but we end up at the same place. So what if you say to me, hey, David, we're not going to go the turnpike. We're gonna, I mean, we're not going to go 75 and I-10. We're going to go this other way. Do I have a right to look at you and go, well, you're wrong. Why don't you unite with us? You are united. Purpose. Same judgment. The way you look at your purpose should align with all that is happening with the body of Christ. So for us, we can't lose those essentials in the non-essentials. We can't allow those things to kind of just become the driving force of our life. And there are a lot of them. So let's talk about what are the essentials? What is it that we must agree on? Because the enemy's just waiting to try to divide the church and to create chaos. What are the essentials of the gospel? I think it, I'll make it as simple as I know how. It is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to provide a way of salvation for all mankind. Jesus came, he walked on this earth, he died for our sin, he was raised from the dead, and whoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus, they shall be saved. That is the essential that we will agree and rally around. Can we thank him even today? Just praise him for that. The essential is simply the story. We were born in sin. We were born into a broken world. There is a break in the relationship between God and his creation. Why? Because of sin. But God loved us so much, he sent his son. And his son, Jesus, took my sin and your sin to a cross. And on the cross, he, this, in the most amazing way, took care of our sin and made a way for us to be forgiven and completely restored to God. Because one day we're either going to live in heaven or hell. Hell is a place separated from God where there's torment and punishment and all that goes without God. And then heaven is a place where you live eternally in the place he's prepared for you. And the decision comes down to, did you receive Jesus, his son, the way he provided? Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the essential 
I'm not budging on that. That's what we believe, right? That's what draws us together. Now, what are the non-essentials? Uh, what time do y'all have services? Why do y'all have three on Sunday morning and don't have one on Sunday night or don't have one on Saturday? Doesn't matter. How about when we take the Lord's Supper? How about when we take the offering? I was in a church one time and they wanted us to vote churchwide on when to have the offering. I said, you got to be kidding me. That's a, an essential when you take an offering? For us, we don't even pass the plate anymore. Is that an issue? Well, for some it is. There's a lot of non-essentials eschatology. How's Jesus going to come back? Is he going to get the church first and then he comes back with the church or is he just going to come back and he's going to, we've already been through that last fall and we know there's a lot of different ways to see that. I follow Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg says there are so many essentials uh, related to the gospel that get lost because of these non-essentials and he lists them. He said one is baptism, how we baptize. Do you know, how many of you grew up in a culture where you baptized three times? Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anybody in here? Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And I was in Haiti once baptizing with a Haitian pastor, and I didn't know that's how they baptize. So I went down once, and then I turned and started talking, and the guy just kept going down. And I'm like, oh, how many times do we do this? It's beautiful. It's different. It's not wrong. It's just different. How about for some of you, how many of you grew up in a church where you took the Lord's Supper every weekend? Raise your hand. You had Lord's Supper every weekend. It's a beautiful thing. Well, y'all don't do it every weekend. What's wrong? By the way, we're doing it next weekend. But we don't do it every weekend. Why? It's just simply because we want it to be special and we try to build it around a service and so forth. Is one of them right, one of them wrong? No. You see, there are a lot of non-essentials that can get all confusing. But Paul says, hey, there is one that unites us. And that one, his name is Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, we unite around that. Now look at the next verse. This is where he gets into the particulars about it. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe, or by Chloe's people, that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So let's stop there a moment. Chloe evidently was a leader in the church, and there was a, a part of the church meeting in her house. They didn't have buildings, so they met in homes. And some of Chloe's people were conversing with Paul somehow and telling him, man, everybody's fighting, and they're quarreling, and this is what they're quarreling about. Some people think, uh, hey, I'm, I'm follow Paul. Another one says, well, I follow Apollos. No one said, I follow Cephas. That's Peter. That's Simon Peter. Or I follow Christ. Let me show you something. Every one of us has a place in our life like this chair. That place in your life is like a throne. It's like the center of who you are. And whoever or whatever is in that chair is the king of your life. That's where you run every decision to and run every decision by. That's how you process life. And there are a lot of different people that can sit in this chair or a lot of different things, philosophies, whatever, can be in that chair. 
And so basically what was happening in the church in Corinth is people were saying, well, I'm following Peter. That's the one in the chair for me. I'm following him. Another one, I'm following Apollos. Their world was very much that way. The culture of the Greeks, they had philosophers. In fact, I would imagine growing up in Greece in those days, you would be crazy not to align with one of the philosophers. There were Epicureans. They said, well, we believe you eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow you may die. The Stoics, who met everything with just this fatalistic approach, or the Cynics, who were skeptical and all, all just everything. I mean, every philosopher had a following. And so the culture of the world that day was getting into the church. And so now they're following. That's what's happening to us. There's so many things and people that can sit in that seat in your life. There's only one worthy to sit in that seat. But think about all the influencers. Who are some of the influencers you follow? Who are some of the people, before you buy anything, you're going to check them out. Before you make a decision, you're going to go to them. Think about how that happens. And think about the division that's created. You take something that can be helpful, but can be so divisive, social media. You see a post of somebody just excited that their dog had puppies. And they want to share these puppies with everybody. Look at the comments. It won't take long until somebody goes, what's wrong? You believe dogs are better than cats? How come you don't have any cats? What's wrong with you people who, and all of a sudden you got a debate going on which are better, dogs or cats? I mean, you can take anything and watch our world divide over that. Jen Wilkin, who is a teacher from Village Church in Dallas, she stood on this platform a year ago. It was in April last year at a Lifeway Women's Conference. This is what she said. Culture as a whole is invested in division. It is. Our culture feeds on it. It really does. Feeds on division. But she said, we're to be alien and strange here, which means we are to be different. We don't have to fall into that. We don't have to fight about everything. And it all comes down to this. Who's sitting in that chair? Who is it that is your influencer? And I want you to think about that. Because this is what Paul does. He lists them. And then he asks some questions. But let's look at the list again. Paulo, follow Paul. What's wrong with Paul? He's great. Why wouldn't you follow Paul? What's, what's wrong with Apollos? Apollos was a brilliant man. He was very eloquent. And, and got a few things wrong in theology, according to the Scripture. And uh, we had a couple. Aquila and Priscilla had to straighten him out. But he was a brilliant. Some people think he might have written the book of Hebrews. So very brilliant person. Nothing wrong with him. What about Cephas? That's Peter. Come on. Christ. Here's what's very interesting about this list. Paul doesn't attack anything those people were teaching. I mean, my goodness, how do you attack what Jesus Christ had said? But what he does, he says, you have the wrong person in that chair. It's not about what they're teaching. It's how you are viewing them. It's how you are receiving that. And let me explain. I think the group, the, the one that's the most 
complicated, and I love to read different interpreters and scholars how they deal with it, is the one I follow Christ. The common view on that is that it was a group of elitists who said, we're better than y'all because we follow Christ. So it wasn't a true example of Jesus being in that chair, and he's the only one that matters to us. It was more like uh, rubbing in, you, in the face of others. I, we follow Christ. We don't follow these people. So here's the problem. When you exalt a leader to a place in your life that only Jesus should be, you're in the same place. Paul wasn't worried about the theology. He was worried about what they were doing. They're probably great theology. He was worried about the way they were exalted by the people. Oh, I'm, I'm following this guy. I'm following that guy. So think about it. How is it that we can put a person on that kind of pedestal? How is it we can put somebody else in that chair? It happens all the time. It happens to every one of us. I mean, for me, I try, I, my goal, I want Jesus sitting there, and <clears throat> I want to run everything by him. But I know Jesus uses people in my life. Thank you, Don. Uses people in my life, and he uses teachers. But here's what I do. Everything I hear somebody teach, I, I think, okay, what does the Scripture say about that? What would Jesus say about that? So it's okay to have those people that you follow in that sense, but they aren't the final word in your life. He is the final word. Amen? Everything. He is the final word. You run everything through that filter. And so they weren't doing that. I think for me, if I hear somebody and they think they know everything and they say, you can't disagree with me, or they have no humility, or they have no sense of their own brokenness and the grace of God that was the Savior, I don't have much more to listen to. Because I can tell you that if it's somebody God is going to use, it's somebody that exalts Jesus. And if I don't hear that come through, so I'm trying everything filter it through this. You know what's scary <clears throat> about our day? How many of you were, were here in 19, not here meaning here, but how many of you were alive in 1978? Let me see your hand. Hmm. There are a few old folks in here. <clears throat> I feel at home. In 1978, something happened that I cannot understand. I couldn't understand it when I was just out of high school when it actually happened. A man by the name of Jim Jones had a following of people so large, they, the goal for Jim was to plant in Guyana. And many of you know, my assistant is from Guyana, her family, her precious family right here, they're from Guyana. He wanted to plant in Guyana like a commune. I mean, it's the best way to know how to describe it. And it was in the middle of the jungle. I mean, Derek can tell you, he's a pastor in Guyana and grew up in Guyana. He can tell you, it is in the remotest part of Guyana. He wanted to build a commune. He wanted to build a place where all his followers could be. So he started. He would practice with his followers a mass suicide. Did you hear me? He practiced a rehearsal. And he said, okay, whenever I give you the word, this is what we got to do. And they would have to go in and they would have to take this potion, this 
stuff with cyanide and drink it. Now, that's where the phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid, or I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid, that's where that came from. And when we started investigating him, he not only resisted, he killed a congressman from California, a Democrat from California, he killed, and his entourage. And then he came back and said, it's not rehearsal, it's time. And he ordered the people to drink the poison. Start with the little ones first. You want to know how many people did that? You know, if I were to just hear that and not know any history, I'd go, gosh, maybe two? Over 900. Now, explain something to me. How can a teacher have that much power over somebody? And I'll tell you, the only answer I know is because they gave it to him. Who's influencing your life? Who's sitting in this chair? And if there's somebody in this chair other than Jesus, you're set up for the same kind of disaster. God forbid it would ever go to that point. But you see what happens when you say, well, I'm of this guy or I'm of that guy. It leads to a place of destruction. Now, there's nothing wrong with having preferences. Well, I like this guy because I like his style. That's a preference. Or I like this kind of music. That's a preference. Don't ever put a preference in that chair. My preference is not Jesus. Put a principle in that chair. My principle is Jesus is the Lord and he is the Christ and he deserves to be sitting there. And you know what a difference is in a preference and a principle? A preference is something you choose because you like it, not because the Word of God makes a clear call to it. But a principle is something you don't choose. But you see it in the Word of God, and God says do it, and you do it because you will honor Him above all. And I just think sometimes we get the two confused. I like rock music. It's not a principle. It's a preference. I like big anthems, big songs. I like loud music. That's a preference. It's not a principle. There are a lot of things I might prefer, but I'm not going to force them on anybody else because it's not a principle. The principle is when the Scripture clearly teaches it and when I know it honors Jesus, the true King. So get your preferences out of the seat and get a principle. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's where he belongs. And Paul asked three questions. Three questions that I'll ask you today. This was so wise on Paul's part. Here's how he responded to all this. I follow this one and I follow that one. Look what he asked. Number one, is Christ divided? And you can answer out loud. Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So the answer on every one of these is obvious. It's no. So the way I break this down is, yes, many divide us, but one unites us. We're divided by many. We're united by one. His name is Jesus. And that's because he is the only rightful king who should sit in that seat in your life. Paul didn't die for you. David didn't die for you. I remember going through a season in college where I wanted to find my faith. 
And I began to study other religions. I began to study, man, I, I studied uh, Islam, I studied Buddhism, I studied Taoism, Confucianism, I'm, I'm all of it. Because I was just trying to check and see. And you know what I found? There's not another one out there like Christ because there's not another one that died for me on a cross so that I could live forever. That story is singular. That story is not in any other faith. There's not another person that's done for you what Jesus Christ did for you. So kick whoever is in the seat out and let Jesus be the rightful one who sits there. That's what we believe. And that's what I follow. In fact, I say it this way. If you can find another one better than Jesus, follow him. But you want, or her, and you want. Because there's none better. And when I was baptized... I was baptized in the name of Jesus. You were baptized. If, we, if you were baptized here, I promise you, you were not baptized in the name of First Baptist Church. You'll never hear that in a baptistry or at the beach or anywhere else we baptize. You will hear in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But here's what I worry about. I've actually heard people say, well, why don't we have those Baptist baptisms? I was in a meeting one time. Had several pastors in the meeting. This guy spoke up and he said, hey, um, David, how come, we don't, how come we don't require Southern Baptist baptism? This was a board, a mission board I was leading. I said, what? What'd you say? He said, how come we don't require Southern Baptist baptism? I don't think I know what that is. Well, yeah, you know. I said, no, I don't. I know one baptism, and it comes from that book, and the baptism I know of is in the name of Jesus Christ. There's not another. If you were baptized in the name of a church, the church is sitting where Jesus belongs. If you were baptized in the name of another leader, another person you like, or whatever, I mean, think about what Paul is saying. He's so right. There's only one name. That you would die to yourself and be buried and then raised up. And that name is Jesus Christ. So that's why we get out of the chair. We get anybody else out of the chair. And we say, Jesus, this is yours. You're my king. And Paul went on and talked about baptism for a minute. In fact, I loved what he said about baptism. He said, I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Paul said, man, if... I just don't want you to think that it's for me. It's for Jesus. And then he says, and this really encourages me, I did not baptize, or I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Are you telling me Paul couldn't remember who all he baptized? I'm feeling a lot better about me. Yes, Paul is honest here. He's being as real as he can be. Because he so wants this. Look, I only came not to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In other words, Paul said, guys, I would get out of the way in a heartbeat because I want it to be all about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. So today, who's the influencer in your life? Who's sitting in that seat? Be honest. If you've never put your faith in Christ, you've never taken that step, there could be a lot of people. You could be sitting there. Hey, there was a time in my life where I said, oh, I, I got this. And that lasted about 30 minutes. And I realized I'm an idiot. 
I'm going to trust me for life? I'm going to trust my... Dis- no. I got up quickly. You may be thinking, I've got all I need. You need Jesus. And today, Jesus is here. And I want us to just, just a simple prayer. You're on the stream or you're in this room. I want you to pray this with me. Let's bow together for just a moment. I want you to tell Jesus, Jesus, I need you. And I know you came and died for me. And nobody's ever done that for me, Jesus. And today, I want you to come in my life and take control. I want you to take the chair in my life. You're my king. You're my Lord, my Savior. And if you've already done that, and that's something that happened years ago, could it be that maybe Jesus got replaced in the chair with something else? It's never too late. It's never inappropriate to come back and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. You belong in this place. You are my king. Take your rightful place. Lord, I just, I pray for any in this room who reached out to you and all of us who are reaching out to you now. We know what unites us, what makes us one is you. And Lord, so help us to live that and practice that. And Lord, most of all, thank you that you are the king that one day the world will see and know. And they will proclaim, Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want you to stand with me. As we stand together, this song just allows us to be able to tell him, there's not another one that deserves that place in my life, Jesus. You alone. And one day, literally, the earth will bow. Every person will say, Jesus, you are the Lord. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.